Good job, guys. I really appreciate it. And they're handing out our sermon, so if you don't got a sermon, they'll make sure you get one. All right, so I want to talk about the good plans of God. A lot better than talking about the bad plans of God, I think, right? And it turns out that all of God's plans are good. They always result in good. God is good not just part of the time, just not some of the time, but all the time. And that's really, really important to understand, even if you're facing exile like Israel was. And so, uh, because of their own failure, their own sin, and uh, believe me, uh, as we look at this context of what we're going to talk about today, we're talking about Israel having to go into exile, but the reason why they had to go into exile was for, because of years of failure. Not just any kind of failure. I mean, <clears throat> adopting the practices of uh, the religious uh, people around them, you know, false religions, and actually uh, chill, uh, killing their own kids, sacrificing the demons. They got really, really off. And so God had to discipline, had to bring them back, had to preserve the nation. And by doing so, he had to bring them into this place of exile, which is going to be Babylon. So if we pick up with verse 10, it says, This is what the Lord says, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Interesting. So even in the midst of that horrible failure, God's already got a redemptive plan. For I know... The plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. When I just read that the other day, uh, it just lifted my spirit. I just, I mean, just those very words. Matter of fact, I was reading them out loud, and my daughter uh, happened to walk by. She said, what was that? What was that you said? <laughs> and I said, it sounds good, doesn't it? And she said, yes. So I said, again, for I know. The plans I have for you, you and you and you and you, everybody, everyone that's called by God's name, even those that aren't called by God's name, God's got a good plan for you if you just care to accept it and receive it. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future, even when it looks like we're going the wrong way with that one, right? And I believe this is a powerful word for us. It will grab a hold of it, we'll take it in, and we'll believe it. And I just want to talk on this subject a little bit. This promise was written to a people who had lost everything, and here's the worst part, it was their own fault. I don't think COVID was our fault, right? There's a lot of other things that have been happening that aren't our fault, but these people, they had a, a part to play in this, a horrible part. Sometimes we do that, sometimes out of ignorance or just out of rebellion or whatever, but God's good plans endured anyway, and there's a New Testament passage that I like so much. I, I, I love this section. It's probably my favorite section of scripture, this and maybe a couple others, but I love this thing. Uh, Romans 8, 28. And this is the other side. This is the New Testament side of I've got plans for you. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I love that. How many things would that be? He works for the good of those who love him. Why? Because he's good. Also, he's all powerful and he's able to overcome all our failures and somehow bring us back to an intimate place and take care of us. For God, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, even in exile, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also Glorified. What then shall we say in response to all this talk, to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Oh, don't you like to say that? 
If God is for us, who can be against us? You can say it out loud again. I'll do it again. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? How many things would that be? And how many categories does that cover? All things. Wow. Is this for real? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. God is praying for us. Wow. And he, I think he has a habit of getting his prayers answered as well, right? He's interceding. Jesus is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sore as it's written? For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future or any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The good plans, the good plans. The righteous plans of God. So I want to just give some wise advice from the scripture for people that are in adversity and exile. Maybe you find yourself in a deep place. It feels like exile. It feels like you're separated. It feels, you know, you always know exile or adversity. One of the things that has it on you, which is maybe one of the worst things, it makes you feel so very, very alone. You notice that? Even in a crowd of people. You feel very, very alone. Maybe you're sick and everybody isn't, or maybe you're going through something, some discouragement and nobody else understands. You could be with a bunch of people, but you feel like you're in exile. And so we go through those times, some dark nights of the soul, sometimes where we can't even put our finger on why we feel the way we do. And then there's other times we can put our finger on exactly why we feel the way we do. So I just want to give some advice out of uh, Jeremiah chapter 29. Uh, verses 4 to 6. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried to exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. So he's saying don't waste time despairing, you can prosper right where you are. No matter how bad the situation is, you can already be prospering. You can already be moving. As a matter of fact, increase in that space. Do not decrease. That's a big mistake that I think large portions of the church have made. They just stopped increasing. They stopped assuming that God was giving increase and more, and they assumed that God was giving out less. So they've withdrawn and pulled back. And the world is all too happy to have you do that. And the devil especially. Because he only comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But God comes that they might have life. That we might have life and have it abundantly. It's a waste of time to despair. I think that we need to give ourselves some room sometimes just to cry it out or to be in a difficult place. I mean, we're not supposed to be superheroes. But at the same time, this scripture, and of all the things you can imagine saying to this people, right? I mean, they've lost everything you could lose. They're a nation. They don't, they're a slave nation now. 
They don't know what they're going to do about houses, foods, their health. They have no hope. They don't even know where God is anymore. There's no temple. There's no place to worship. Everything has been taken away. Maybe some of us feel a little bit like that, depending on how bad it's been for us. Maybe not only being isolated, but also maybe you lost your job or maybe you're in another situation with your help. But I think there's some credence in what I'm saying here. Wise advice, do not waste time despairing. You can prosper right where you are, increase in number there, and do not decrease. That's what he's saying. He's saying basically you prosper in that land where I sent you. And people didn't want to prosper in that land. It's not Israel. It's not home. Yet that's what God said to do. And it's really, really wise advice because he also has this deeper plan to restore you, even as we read, plans to give you hope and a future. In the meantime, before you realize those plans, move forward, increase. See where God's increasing. See how he wants to shape your life. See what new things he wants to bring in. And I've been telling you, especially all of us that are in business and trying to make a living, I just encourage you, even though uh, the business might have uh, gone sideways or something had been delayed or all kinds of things going on with school, look, just look for increase. Look for ways that you can recreate yourself. And we've been through a number of seasons through the years, even in our church. We're old enough as a church to have gone through several seasons. One of the most dynamic ones was the recession. And I remember at that time how once we got over the shock of everything falling apart, uh, our guys and gals, and especially in our business community, we were praying with all the time, they began to think new ways. They began to think creatively. And the creative effect of God began to come, and people began to reinvent themselves. They began to find new opportunities, new ways to make a living, new ways to do things. And even our church right now, we're finding new ways to do things. It's been a remarkable season of creativity. We've seen more growth and more grace than we've seen in an awful long time. And uh, part of it's just uh, this attitude of, okay, where's the good here? Where, what can we do? What can we learn? What, how can we take advantage of our situation, even though it's such a disadvantage place? And uh, this tent's an expression of that. I'm going to really have a hard time getting rid of this tent. <laughs> I mean, I just like the way it feels. I, I think I'm in some kind of healing revival or something. I don't know. I just like it. It's a little cool, but usually, uh, conspicuously, the rain hasn't been there. If you notice that, it never rains on Sunday anymore, evidently. But I, I really appreciate that. And and, uh, and I tell you, in our architectural plans and drawings that we just went over with the city, every detail of this whole campus is being redone and replanned. But uh, uh, part of it is to get rid of the tent, but I'm going to really have a hard time doing that. So i I got to... Uh, the right time, I suppose, but anyway. And it just gives us all kinds of fun. We have all kinds of fun next week, you know, and it's just great what we've been able to do here. So, Lord, we thank you for this creative way you've been solving uh, our, our problems in terms of gathering and all that. We just thank you right now. So, and then he says in verse 7, something else is, Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Whoa. So these are their enemies. These are the ones that captured them. These are the ones that killed their relatives, took away their livelihood, caused everything to work together for bad for them in their mind, right? And God says, you know, pray for these people that are responsible for this adversity. Why can you pray for people that have caused you adversity? Because God's bigger than them. God's uh, 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 more, much more loving than you can imagine. And as we're going to see in the story, he includes everybody. 
Matter of fact, sometimes he uses our exile so that other people will come to the Lord who are not so nice. So this comes down to home. How many have a political party you're not, it's not your favorite? <laughs> Pray for the people responsible for your adversity, right? Whichever way that goes for you. Pray for the people. Pray. Pray for your enemies is what he's saying. That's crazy advice. I know the plans I have for you. Let's key on that. Plans to prosper not to harm you. Now you're telling me to pray for these people that put me in the bad place in the first place? Uh, yes. Because he's good to the evil and the good at the same time. And also, he's got plans. Because he's got plans to use you in their life, as we're going to see. Third thing, call on God with all your heart, praying for the promises of Scripture and praying over prophetic words that you receive. In this place, I just when you're in, a, in this place of exile, call on God with all your heart and pray for the promises of Scripture and over prophetic uh, promises you received maybe recently or five years ago or whatever, whatever you can think of, whatever good word God ever said about you and whatever good scripture you ever read to hang on to, pray it, declare it, because it's true. And it will help you put your mind in a different place so you can actually hear God's voice. The purposes uh, for exile or trouble are often for the benefit of others. God is more compassionate than we think for the lost around, uh, around us, for the last world around us. Don't lose your testimony. And can I just say to you this, that this stuff that's happened to us, it's not only about us, it's about the world. And I guarantee you, lots of people are on their way into the kingdom because of this, uh, what's happened to us. And we just got to make sure that we are cooperating with them because even the most ornery are going to come in. Even the ones that we don't like the most are going to come in. He's more compassionate and passionate than you think uh, for this world around us. And it wouldn't be surprised me at all if the Lord allowed this to happen so we would have a gigantic harvest. Whatever you do, don't lose your testimony because your testimony is powerful. Your testimony, even during this time, is powerful and important. And even if you're in the middle of your testimony, it's so dark you can't even see. Just start putting your bullets in the belt <laughs> for someone else you can encourage with, and I mean in a positive way, you know. These negative experiences you wouldn't give, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> anything for it to go through again, but still there's treasure there that it can use because you're getting, uh, forming a testimony. Your testimony is so powerful and so important. Because of Israel's deportation to Babylon, God revealed himself to the most powerful leaders of the world. Can you think about that? Because they got deported, the most powerful leaders in the world knew about the God of the Hebrews. Close up. Like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He raises them up in these exilic, exiled people, and he raises up to the highest position in the government. He's telling Nebuchadnezzar his dreams for heaven's sake. That's what Daniel's doing. And these guys uh, are interpreting the dream. And the dream, uh, he it literally says in Daniel 2, 46 to 49, that uh, when he, well, after he interpreted the dream, and by the way, he threatened to kill all of, we talked about this a few weeks ago, he, decl he, de he said he's going to kill everybody and all his so-called wise men if they didn't tell him his dream. They begged him to tell them the dream so they could come up with some kind of, uh, you know, interpretation. He says, no, no way. You're not getting off the hook this time. I want you to tell me the dream. <laughs> oh, man. And Daniel, thank God for all of them, was the only one that could tell him the dream. So he tells them the, me the meaning of the dream. Look at verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, this is the king of the whole world. This is the most powerful 
uh, man in the world at that time. <laughs> King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before... I'll make sure I didn't say prostate. Prostrate. Prostrate. <laughs> you get older and you think about that stuff, you know. The king... <laughs> I said prostrate, right? I did. Okay, good. <laughs> now you're going to completely lose the whole thing. Sorry, God. Okay, but it's still pretty cool. And then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering incense be presented to him, an offering to Daniel. <laughs> the king said, Daniel. Now this is the important part. And here's where we're headed. Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. So what happened is, God became manifest. God became uh, obvious. The Hebrew God, which you know was just one of the pantheon, evidently now this Nebuchadnezzar is beginning to realize this is the most powerful one of all because none of these other gods could say anything. They had nothing to say. He, he thought they were probably masquerading false anyway. And now he finds the real thing. And he's respecting God. See, God gets introduced into this man's life, into that culture in a way that he never would have before. This is what's happening in our culture right now. If we could just get past our despair long enough to see it, people all around us want to hear about this kind of God, this supernatural God. So Daniel's friends end up in the fiery furnace, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. We know that story. Maybe you remember it even from Sunday school. It's a cool story where, you know, they get cast into this fear, uh, fur furnace because they won't worship. They won't worship this, this uh, image, this golden statue that Nebuchadnezzar, a giant statue. So they want to get rid of these guys. Uh, the leaders around them say, hey, look, let's, let's pass an ordinance and everybody's got to worship this, this, this statue. King Nebuchadnezzar, no stranger to having an ego, says, good, that's a great idea. Let's do that. And if they don't worship, well... These guys, these three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, didn't worship. And um, so they get thrown in this furnace. And listen to this. What does Nebuchadnezzar say? So this is the whole issue here. This is one of the issues of exile. And again, we'll have to put our own labels and names and faces to this. The Nebuchadnezzar said, Nebuchadnezzar said, after he see that they're not harmed at all, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their own lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I decree, listen to this, that every that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other god can save in this way. Still a little rough around the edges. When the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. What an amazing thing. And then there's a story of what happens when the new king takes over. Nebuchadnezzar. We'll go back and forth. He's actually with Cyrus. It's, it says in maybe your NIV or some other Bibles, Darius. And so most, most commentators think it's the same guy, right? 
So again, uh, these people in the court, politicians are jealous over Daniel. And so as soon as Darius, that is Cyrus, comes into power, Daniel 6, he appoints 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, verse 1, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Could God do that in this day? Okay, I think a lot of you were impressed that God put Trump in and other good leaders in that we liked. You know, maybe some of you didn't like him. But if God did it once, he could do it again. And who's to say that these people aren't already in place? We just haven't been politicized. We don't know about them. We don't know, you know, we haven't seen them on the news. I guarantee you God is doing this right now. And if we'll cooperate with him, he'll do more. He'll put people in secret places of authority, even in the government. And if he did it once, he can do it again and again and again and again. What's the intervening variable that God's people do not get in such a despair and such a bad, foul mood that they can't even look at someone that believes differently with them without being angry? You've got to stop that, guys. You know why? Because you can't pray from that place, and your prayers are what change things. And by the way, God's better than you think. He actually loves these people that you don't like. A lot. These are bloodthirsty, horrible emperors. Kill people in a shot. You know? Hey, you didn't worship my statue. <laughs> and here's this new one. At this time, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, "My king, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now your majesty issued the decree and put it in writing so it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the, with, where the wind... He not only went to his home, but he opens the windows so everybody can see. He opens it toward Jerusalem. See, three times a day he would do this, and he never stopped. Did you know he started doing that when he first got exiled, somewhere in the area of 605, 606 B.C.? Now it's way down in the 540 range. He's been doing this for 60-plus years, three times a day praying, and now he sees the trap's been set. All he's got to do is just pray. I don't know. If I were you, maybe I'd just pray quietly to myself. <laughs> no. He risks his life. Because he actually believes his own prayers. And he actually believes that what he's doing is actually affecting something. And that's another thing. When you pray, do you believe your own prayers? You're the apple of God's eye. You're a son or daughter. But when you come and stand before God, do you actually believe that he hears you? Or do you think he went on a vacation somewhere and is never coming back? This is an issue for all of us. I know we've been through disappointment and discouragement, but don't let your prayers go and don't let your heart leave God. He hasn't left you. Sometimes things are rough. Three times a day, he got down on his knees, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. You know what he's praying for? We know from other scriptures what he's praying for. 
is the restoration of the people of God back to Israel. And he knows at this point in time he's near the time because Jeremiah the prophet spoke to the people and said, in 70 years, I'm going to get you back. And he knew they were ending, you know, getting close to that space. And he wouldn't stop praying till it happened. He wouldn't stop praying till it was finished. And that's the way prayer is. Don't stop praying till it's finished. Don't stop praying till it's done. You keep praying and keep praying and keep praying. Persistently, consistently. In Jesus' name. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days anyone who prays to any god or human being except you, your majesty, would be thrown to the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. And we pick up. Daniel obviously doesn't get bit. Actually, they're probably made it made the lions as pets, for all we know. But obviously, uh, there's nothing uh, that happened to him. And guess what happened? These guys get thrown in the lion's den. And it's really important, uh, the ones that accused him. But I want to read this part. Then Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language and all the earth. And this is the whole point of what I'm saying, all right? God is more passionate than we think for the lost world around us. Don't lose your testimony. The purpose of our exile often for the benefit of others. And so not only were they being exiled because of their own failure, but in the process, God was revealing himself to the whole world now. And the bastions of power at the highest of level. So as a result of Daniel not getting eaten by the lions, King Darius writes to all the nations of peoples of every language, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree. Now listen to this. That in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and revere the God of Daniel. Talk about evangelism. Talk about revealing yourself. The head guy, the emperor over all the world says, look, all people must fear and revere the God of this guy, Daniel, for he is the living God. Wow. And he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He's prophesied now. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He's getting the hang of this. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So, an understatement. Verse 28. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So the people of Vineyard Community Church prospered during the reign of Joe Biden and the reign of whoever else up there. Kamala here. Yeah, Kamala. She's on there too, right? Did I say it right? Kamala? Not, not Kamala. Kamala. It's, it's. Okay. I got to move on quickly from here. All right. <laughs> so Cyrus' decision to send the Jews home is a very, very powerful thing because so he came into place and now what happens is they get close to the 70 years. So Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 to 3. This is, this is um, really important um, because I, I found that it's sort of like fishing sometimes when I'm praying for things. Sometimes the last part of it is the most important part. i got to get this thing into the boat. I'm an, I've seen people get tired, and they're just about to break through, and then they do the stupidest thing. I've seen that in my ministry a hundred times. I'm watching them, and they're in the middle of it, and I'm trying to track with them, encouraging them, and I can see the progress. I can see where the thing is going. And they're so discouraged 
that they can't see the progress. Maybe they'll see a little bit, and then I can tell that they're right at the end of it. If they just hang on a little bit longer, this thing's going to break loose. They're going to be okay, and then they do something crazy. I can't tell you how many times I've seen that happen. It's a horrible thing. Endure all that time, and then at the very end, you bail. Because sometimes at the end, it's like the end of the race, you, you have to sprint. Sometimes at the end, you've got to finish well. And in the end of the race, it takes courage and strength. It's that last push. All champions know about that. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, this is Cyrus again, was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord, given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem will last 70 years. So interesting. Wow. Great. It's happening. Word of the Lord's coming to pass. So what does he do? Just wait around? Look at his clock? Can't wait? You know, I guess he didn't probably have a watch, but, you know, sundial, whatever he used. I don't know. What's he doing? This is what he does. This is important. Really important. For everybody that's listening to me, I think that we're coming to the end of something and the beginning of something new. But finish well. Finish well. Don't give up. Don't give up. So I turn to the Lord God. This is his reaction to this. He sees the 70 years are up. He doesn't say, oh, well, the 70 years are up. Prophecy is not magic. Prophecy is relational. It's a God speaking things to you and saying, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm about to do. And he uses people to be a part of the process and the plan. So I turn to the Lord God and I plead with him in prayer and petition and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. You would think, wait a minute, sackcloth, ashes, fasting, what am I doing that for? I've been waiting 70 years. It's about up. Time's up. No. There's something about this. Even it's a mystery. I don't even understand it entirely. I just know that we are very much a part of the process of our own answers to prayers. And One of the problems I have all the time with regard to people who are in deep darkness is they just forgot that they're a part of the answer to their, their own problem. They take themselves out of the equation. They've been so down so long. And they can't. God will not do it without you. You have to have courage and faith. There's something, a part that you play, even if it's a mustard seed of faith. You exercise that. All you've got. All the courage you've got. And yes, it's not going to be comfortable. It's going to be painful at times. It's going to be, oh my gosh, you mean on top of all that I've gone through, I've got to do this. Yes, and you know what? For the ones that are severely, severely compromised and that we work with in the warehouse all the time, this is a big issue for them. They've been in, down so long, and finally the time comes for them to get out. And they can't have, they don't have enough strength in the inside of them to get out because that strength comes from God Almighty. It has to come from outside of you. That's why we have a good chance of helping the homeless, but we've got to convince them to know Jesus Christ, to know Him, to pray and act and do business with Him because He's the one they're first married to, not to us. We can only take you so far in your brokenness. And then you've got to just take that step of faith sometimes, sometimes just coming to a service. Sometimes it's, it's something very specific God wants you to do that you're uncomfortable with, but it's the way out. And it takes faith. And Daniel understands. He's been praying for 70 years. You would think that would be enough to get over the top. No. He sees it's close. So what he does is he turns to the Lord and he adds fasting to it. He's in sackcloth and ashes like nothing's happened at all. Not No 70 years. He's at the very end. He prays to the Lord and my God, he says, confess, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps 
His covenant of love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from Your commands and laws. We have not listened to Your servants, the prophets, who spoke in Your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. And He just goes on with this prayer. It's just a, a magnificent, uh, beautiful prayer. And it's so, so uh, incredibly instructive. And uh, I want to just go to verses 17 and 19. Now our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Now just put yourself, okay, that's all really nice. Really. Lord, hear my prayer and petition. For your sake, Lord, look on my desolate life, my discouraged life. My life that hasn't amounted to much, or my life that everything's been taken. Look to me, Lord. I desolate. Give ear, O God. Hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that hears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous. No, we're not righteous. But because of your great mercy, I appeal to the mercy of God. I appeal to the mercy of God. And when you say that, it's powerful. Do you remember the blind guy? And Jesus is walking around Jericho and you know, and, and he, he, people in that time thought if you were blind or had something wrong with you, you were cursed. And so he's screaming out, Son of David, have mercy. And they told him to shut up. And the guy starts screaming even louder. Yeah. Now, Jesus is a busy guy. He stops. I've heard that cry of mercy before. God likes cries of mercy. He turned to him. said, what do you want? <laughs> I want to see. Fine. See. Amen. Done. If the man hadn't cried out, what would have happened? There's a woman with the issue of blood. If she hadn't touched Jesus inappropriately, she was ceremonial unclean. As soon as she touched him in that bleeding condition, she defiled him, but power automatically went out of him because God's a God of mercy. Lord, he says, listen, forgive. I mean, this man, Daniel's a righteous guy, but he's standing the gap for his people. He's including himself, all of us. And that's where we are today. We're all of us are together. In this, everyone that knows the name of the Lord, we're together. Lord, hear and act for your sake, my God. Do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Wow. And so what happens? Cyrus makes the decree. 538 B.C. And the people are free to go back to Jerusalem. Who are you meant to influence? Don't waste your sorrows. You are meant to influence. You are meant to do business in this world for Jesus. In the midst of this sorrow and pain, you have a unique place. And you all have a unique testimony. And you have unique things, sometimes the bad things that have happened to you or in your life so that you'll have a testimony for someone else. Because God is so passionate about the world, He would let you go through that so you'll bring some other people to the Lord. Sometimes it happens that way. So you just got to learn to do business. And despairing doesn't do us any good. But this whole thing, throwing yourself on the mercy of God is never a waste of time. Reaching out to those around us is not a luxury, by the way. Well, I could maybe do that. Maybe, okay. It's a necessity. We are the salt and light company. Without us, the world becomes tasteless and dark. When Jesus says that you're the light of the world, you're the salt of the earth, think about it. No light, what would the earth be like? So without us, the, work, the world gets very, very dark, not only for them, but for us. 
That's why it's so important that we shine our light, that we make a difference in our culture. We shine our light. We be salty. We represent Jesus Christ. We go after the lost, the lonely, the broken, because if we don't go after them, the enemy will, and he'll turn them against us. The issue that we face today is not primarily a political one. It is a spiritual one. And we have answers for that. They go way above the governments, even the emperor of the whole world, as we've been seeing. And there's always this, and I love this so much as I read through the scriptures, the attack of darkness and the counterattack of God. We see this all through the Bible, all through Acts, the attack on the people of God and the counterattack of God. We see it. They get persecuted. And once they get persecuted and Simon and John, uh, Peter and John get arrested, and, oh, no, what are we going to do? Our, our main guys are arrested. And then they let them out, and God brings a whole counterattack. And they say, we're not stopping. We're going to go. Oh, man, you delivered them. Here we go. And they kept getting an axe as a story of bigger and bigger circles of the gospel. After persecution, Stephen gets killed. And guess what they do? Find, they get scattered all over the place. And now they're preaching the gospel even more, even farther and farther. It's always about attack. The enemy attacks. Now we should be watching for the counterattack and be a part of it. Because the counterattack of God now is imminent and upon us if you care to accept it. And that's where we need to go. If you think, look at church history, it's so remarkable. By 400 A.D., the Christians were persecuted for the first couple of hundred years. But Rome became more and more uh, malleable, more and more flexible with them. And by the time we got to the 3rd century, 300 to 400, they were completely tolerant of Christianity and letting it spread wherever it wanted to go. But the only problem was, the Christians were so excited about it, they forgot about the northern neighbors. They forgot to go to the northern guys, the guys that were the heathen right up above there, the barbarians. So guess what the barbarians did? They began to invade the Roman Empire. And the indisputable fact is that while the Romans lost the western half of their empire, the barbarians gained a Christian faith. In other words, by invading the Roman Empire, the barbarians became Christians. Attack, counterattack. The believers, hey, new unbelievers, okay. All right, here we go. And we're not really that excited about the Roman government anyway, so great, here we go. And so that's literally because they invaded, all those barbarians became Christians. They huge, it was the major reason why they became Christians. So all of Western Europe, and then those guys forgot about the other barbarians, the Vikings on t north of them. So you guessed it, from 400 to 800 A.D., the history of the church is the Vikings invading. <laughs> and so what they would do is they'd take these prisoners back. They'd take these prisoners, they'd take little girls, girls and marry them and, and make them their mistresses. They, they would take monks and enslave them, you know. But in the process of taking these people back to them, and the process of habitating with the people of Western Europe, they all began to get saved. <laughs> they all began to get saved. By invading the barbarian world, what was the formerly the barbarian world, the conquerors were conquered by the faith their captives. And so we have uh, Norsemen that landed on, uh, for example, the continent. They became Christian Normans. And they have Danish invaders from Norway, and they became Christians in Middle England. And a new culture spread, and it went all the way back to Scandinavia. And before you know it, all the Scandinavians then knew the Lord. Attack and counterattack. You see how God does this? It's amazing. Involuntarily, 
We wouldn't want them to invade, but they bring them in, and when they get in, the Christians take over and start leading them all to Christ. Wow. So this is so important for us to understand in our own life. Attack and counterattack. The counterattack of God's always more powerful. That's the season we're in, if you care to accept it. And part of that, whether it will happen or not, is whether we will keep our head out of the sand and keep it into God, interceding and praying and being the Christians we are, be infectious, get over all of... You know, these people that are doing these things and have these stupidest ideas on the planet, they're just sinners, guys. <laughs> they don't know any better. They don't know their right hand from their left hand. Oh, I know, man, and, and you can be reminded on the news all you want about how terrible they really are. They were really bad in this time, too. They didn't mess around. Thought nothing about killing lots of people. Well, guess what? We overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Now I want to just finish with this. I call them invisible, invisible investments in God that make a difference. Daniel prayed three times a day for 70 years. Talk about a commitment. He got a hold of a promise, and he would not let go of it until he saw it come to pass. And his prayers had something to do with this promise coming to pass. The return of Israel according to Jeremiah's prophecy. I have gotten to the habit of doing this uh, 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 almost to the place where I feel like I'm neurotic. <laughs> you know, I pray about things constantly sometimes and sometimes for years. I'm working on some of my requests now for 15, 20 years, every single day of my life. But I will not give up. Daniel's my model. I will continue until what I'm praying for comes to pass. And you cannot give up the battle. You've got to fight. You've got to stay in this place. I don't understand why God delays. We've given you some of the reasons. Sometimes the good plans of God take us right into a witness, uh, right into the place where other people are living in pain. So we can see that. The commitment of Daniel and his friends to serve God first, even unto death, is another invisible thing. But that commitment, that solid rock commitment, that led to these great kings bowing to the king of kings and the lord of lords it cost them everything but it, they could have died from all of that but the commitment is what the emperor saw and then realized these are the real thing and who knows what the consequences of all that that we don't even know about were in these empires the prophetic anointing revelation and wisdom that interpret dreams and solve difficult problems are still alive by the way they're invisible steps of faith that we take, trying to hear God's voice, trying to listen, trying to understand. I really am proud of our church for trying to be prophetic. I say trying to be because we don't always succeed. We don't always hit the mark, but at least we're in the right neighborhood. Uh, according to these passages and all the other passages, that's part of our God-given inheritance, to be prophetic. So don't get discouraged about all the people that you heard on TV or radio prophesying, you know, whatever, and it didn't come to pass. I thought to myself, my goodness, these guys are bold. Well, they're trying. I tell you, I like that. Maybe not everything was perfect, but I would rather be on that side, trying to learn how to hear God's voice, and the other side saying, I knew it. God wouldn't speak. You guys are a bunch of phonies. That is stupid thinking, you guys. The prophetic belongs to us. Hearing God's voice belongs to us, and we'll get it right, and we're going to get better. Don't shoot the people that are trying to promise. I pray for them to get it better. And by the way, try it out yourself, because I tell you, if you ever heard God's voice, that would be a good time. To hear. Lastly, I want to read from Haggai chapter 1 for a moment. I love this passage because it's interesting. As we go through this narrative, 
and we see what happened. Isn't it nice to have the fire department nearby? Thank God for the fire department. Lord, whoever they're going to, I pray you'd bless them. <clears throat> so Haggai is this strange little book. It takes me an hour to find it every time. It's a couple of chapters. So here's an interesting thing. So finally, at the end of our story, the 70 years have come, and they end up in Israel, right? And the people are so overwhelmed, there's nothing but devastation. There's no temple waiting for them. There's not even any houses waiting for them. It's a mess. The whole thing's disaster, both for Gentiles and for Jews that have come back, and the Jews have come back. And they're, they're stunned by it. They're, they're overwhelmed by the whole thing. And so God sees that. Finally, the promise comes. Isn't it interesting? Finally, this thing comes to pass. But when they get back, it's not all glorious. There's not a lot of cheerleaders out there. They're not, the cheerleaders aren't lined up on the road. Hey, you guys, welcome back. Yeah. Signs out there. Yeah. <laughs> no. It's, it's nothing like that. Maybe they thought that. I'm not sure what they thought was going to happen. But as soon as they saw what they were dealing with, they got more than a little discouraged because there was also a hostility of the neighboring peoples. It was all under, quote, the Persian Empire, but these people were hostile. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So there's two authorities here. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Haggai tells them, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. <laughs> so they're there, and all these years they've been looking for it, and they get there, and they're like, Well, boy, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. Whoa, uh, we better take care of this. I've got to have a place to live. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Here, I want you to turn. I know you're an exiled People, I know you're not doing well. Get over it. It's time to get with our program, my program. Put me first, and you see what I'll do for you. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains, bring down timber, and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. And by the way, what's that house about? It's a house of prayer. It's a house of worship. It's a house where everything's centered around God. We're rebuilding our spiritual foundations. You expected much when you got here, but see, it turned out to be little. But it turned out to be little not because of me, but because you. What you brought home I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which, by the way, you were exiled for in the first place. You wouldn't take care of it then, and you're not taking care of it now. Well, but you don't know. I'm, I'm in bad shape. We've been exiled all these years, and here we are, God. I know you're in exile. I know you've had a hard time. I'm trying to get you out of this. But you're a part of the plane. You're a part of the field. You're a part of what it takes to get back which remains a ruin, which while each of you is busy with your own house, they're taking care of that pretty well. But God, I, we don't have a place to live. Please, just give us a break here. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I call for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and every else, everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and all the labor of your hands. He calls for a famine. He calls for just the opposite because he didn't want to go through this again with him. If you're going to worship me, you worship me. And I'm telling you, it pays to worship me. But you've got to get your priorities straight. Isn't that amazing? <clears throat> so he's asking them to get into a given, giving posture. It meant that they had to sacrifice. 
Sowing's like that. You sow a seed and you get a return. You don't just plant a plant, you sow seeds. They were at seed time. They didn't understand. Their pain was masking. And so for some of us, in this time, it's a time to start over. For some of us, we're just going to have to start over a little bit. It's all right, but keep God as your priority. Make Him number one. Give, sow, and you'll get a return. Tithe. Give the first part of your income. Give the, your time, income, whatever it is that required of the kingdom of God. When God puts that in your hands, His hands, guess what? Amazing things happen. These invisible investments, these prayers three times a day for 70 years, the, the serving God and, and committing to God no matter what, and no matter how hard the time, no matter what people are telling us to do, serve Him anyway. Meet in a tent if you have to do. Meet outside if you have to. Whatever you have to do. The prophetic anointing, the revelation, God's still speaking. He didn't go, he, he didn't go silent. You just have to listen. And this other thing about honoring God with our wealth, honoring God with are giving. Being a giving people today is very, very important. Now give careful thought on this, from this day on, verse 15 of chapter 2. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the temple. So they began. They obeyed. They began to build the temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, so he marks it, so what they did was they changed their mind. They started building the temple. From this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful, to the, careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. So they put the effort in to get the foundation. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed that's in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have, born, not, have, have not borne fruit. From this, now this is, this is the key thing. He said, okay, you're serious. And you know, he says, from this day on, I will bless you. And all they have is a scuzzy little foundation. And the foundation looks so bad that the older people that see it think it's ridiculous. It doesn't look like anything like the glory of the temple. And they wept when they saw it. But in God's economy, that's not it. The key thing is, they gave what they had. And they tried. They stepped out. And they did what God said. And this is what God says. From this day on, I will bless you. Ah, I think we should make this the first day, if you haven't already, of God blessing you. I declare over this place, from this day on, God bless us. Here we are gathered in your name, like you told us to do. We've been giving and sharing. We've been putting in the seed. Now, Lord, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Pour out on us. Lord, I want to ask you that you would give everyone within the sound of my voice a game plan, a way that they can be a giver and not a taker, a way that they can be a sower and not a taker, a way that they can see the way out for their own problems. Give them your voice. Show them how their lifestyle can cooperate with the way you are. I declare you're the most generous person in the universe. You gave us your son. Why would you not give us all the rest of our stuff? I pray you would heal our bodies. I pray you would take care of our families and our children. I pray you take care of our careers in every way, Lord. I declare your abundance over this house. Help us to be this Daniel people. Lord, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. 
we lay hold of those plans. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great day.